This is the Athletic Football Show. The Athletic Football Show. Great show for you guys today. Tashawn Reed, our Raiders writer at The Athletic, is going to be joining us a little bit later. We are very excited about a narrative podcast series that Tashawn has been working on for, I don't know, the better part of a year, looking at just the history of race and its impact on the NFL at large and the structures in place in the NFL. We have episodes on players, executive coaches, and then looking at the current hiring cycle. Deshaun has done a fantastic job with Between the Lions, which is what we're calling the series. So very excited to intro that to you and introduce you to the work that he is doing. Before we get into that, though, I am thrilled to welcome, to help me break down some big news today, our good friend, Nate Tice. Nate, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing well. Uh I guess I got some homework in for a pod we'll uh, we'll be doing at a later date because this is a this is a, is this our first like emergency pod like our emergency I live pod? I think it might this, be because we I don't think do it a lot is. of emergency pods because we record every nope. day. So back in a time where I didn't do this every day, sometimes you had to break in case of emergency and be like, "All right, it's yeah. time to react to this because we're not recording till Wednesday." That's not really right. how it works over here on the Athletic Football Show. But <laughs> for the first time that I can remember, it usually happens the other way. Where yes. we finish recording, it's like 4.18 p.m. It's like, man, that was a mediocre show. Good job. And then 20 minutes passes and some huge piece of news, news. breaks. And it's like, well, what are we going to do now? The show's already out. And is it worth going to do yeah. this? The exact opposite happens. We're sitting there getting ready to record a podcast about a topic that is not worth bringing up because we will discuss it later. And we get two huge bombshells immediately in a row. And then boom, that boom. show Domino's. goes in the shitter, and now we have to do this one. So good stuff. Yeah, it's Domino's. Uh, I think literally the first podcast we ever did, it happened to us uh, because we did an NFC North preview, and then uh, the trade, the Vikings traded for uh, uh, Yannick uh, Ngakwe. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Ngakwe. Right. Yeah, yeah. And, then, and, I, and I remember yeah, you guys were like, like, "Hey, we got to re-record," and I had no idea what I was doing, and I'm just like, "Yeah, okay, whatever you guys need me to do, sure, I'll talk about it." But that that was a uh, peek behind the curtain for the first time for me. But I know usually it's. Like right, like five minutes into a show, a news breaks, or like you said, twenty minutes after. So, I uh, this is great. But for the it felt like Domino's were getting set up. Like literally, there's that meme with the Domino's that like I just tweeted. But there is also just everything else that falls in the NFL season. I mean, this is every sports league. So as soon as that Sean Payton news happened, it's like, oh, here we go. Now the bubble's about to burst. There's no dead weeks in the NFL. This is the bye week before the Super Bowl. Nah, news break. Here we go. Now we got coaching news. Senior Bowl's happening. I'm sure more's going to trickle down from that. So it's great that, we, uh, that we're primed for this and ready to go. So let's talk about this from the Broncos' perspective. Let's start with the Sean Payton news. The Broncos trade reportedly a 2023 first and a 2024 second and get back a 2024 third for the rights to hire Sean Payton as their head coach. Am I wrong just to think this is a huge win for the Broncos? I mean, they're already all in like with the Russ thing. I mean, they had to make this work. So, yeah, I I mean, this isn't originally what the compensation was going to be and even just getting that pick swap isn't like i mean that's actually it kind of softens the blow it really just um, becomes that I, 2023 first so you traded bradley yeah. chubb for sean payton yes yes and that's exactly what it is that's i do that considering what considering what the price was what originally what i pictured in my head that's not bad at all even if it was multiple where first they were round at. picks 
And and I yeah. know people were saying that, and it's hard to sit there and be like, man, multiple first round picks for a coach when you can just hire a coach. Coaches are really important. <laughs> right. And it's look what just, really, and really look important. What just so I, yeah. I just the idea that you're only giving up one first round pick. I know it's a lot. I know first round picks are important, but yes, you're, yes. you're getting a coach who yeah. has built a winner every single year. And I think I can't remember who it was, whether it was it's a study that's come up a lot recently with, with talking about coaching hires. And I believe it's someone who is now maybe in the Eagles front office or the Browns front office that mm-hmm. was in the analytics community. And they did a study on the predictive aspects of head coach success. And your success as a coordinator really has no bearing on whether or not you will be a successful head coach. But if yeah. you have been a head coach and you've been successful, it typically indicates that you will be successful again. Think about what right. Andy Reid has done for the Chiefs. Just How many first-round picks would you give up if you were Kansas City for Andy oh. Reid and what he's given you? Way yeah. more than one. Oh, I mean, uh, uh, yeah, I was going to say at least two. And I mean, they imagine. Remember what the Chiefs were right before Andy Reid got yes. there? They were absolute shit show. And they went from, and then they got Andy Reid. They uh, traded for Alex Smith, and then boom, boom, instant double-digit wins. Like they just boom, boom, just like that. And that's what a head coach does. It starts at the top. That's always the saying, but it matters more than any other sport. There's so much that you have to manage as a head coach. So getting one that not only is a good um, organizer, identifier of talent as well. That's an underrated thing with yes. Sean Payton. But also on top of it, he's a really one of the original quarterback gurus. Yes. And he's going with a guy that needs all the help that he can get right now just to rebuild confidence and also just align their offense and get it pointed into the right direction. So I think that's a huge win. You're you're all in. It. You already made your bed with the Russell Wilson trade. So why not? Like this is a great way to like really get as much return as you can on that investment. In Rappaport reporting now that the Broncos tried to lure D'Amico Ryan's there today. He said wow. no and they move on to Sean Payton. We had this discussion with Sando wow. yesterday. If they miss out on D'Amico Ryan's and Sean Payton yeah. is no longer in the picture where do they go? Jim right. Harbaugh, do they go back into the pool and start interviewing people again? Right. I know you probably had to give up a ton for him, and that's before we even get into a conversation about compensation per year, yes. which I assume is astronomical. I, 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 I can't imagine. even imagine what he's making, <laughs> but also power dynamics. That yes. is another big question with this. Is he? I'm guessing he's reporting directly to ownership. George Payton was there. George yeah. Payton is probably on a little shakier ground now after the Russell Wilson yes. trade. So the power dynamics within the organization and how much you're willing to pay him, all up for debate and all up for, you know, we could talk about that. But I still, yeah. I think that the end result here of Sean Payton is now your head coach when you were looking at having to go back to the drawing board, that is a win to right. me. That, that is a definitive right. win. Remember, I've ta- I've said this kind of line a million times with team building. Like sometimes going from shit to average is still like a great improvement. Now imagine going from you know way way poor to very good, yes. <laughs> excellent, and a head coach. That's a huge bump. And like you said, the pool, it was you know it's it was an interesting pool. Uh, I the beholders like Ryan's was probably one of the, the aces of this kind of class of this head coaching class. I guess is the incoming coaching class. So you lose out on him. All right, we already did hack it. Never again. We don't want to go down that path. Getting that pro- kind of proven guy, but Sean Payton. I mean, obviously, this is the line you know from Game of Thrones: like chaos is a ladder for him. I'm sure he loved being able to go like, oh, I could go straight to the owner who probably has probably final say on roster construction, like the final fifty three and all that. 
that probably meant a lot to him where he was like, yeah, I want to go there. And okay, I can make this work with Russell Wilson as well. I want to be clear. I don't think that having to go back into the pool and look at, let's throw some names out there, Brian Callahan, if he didn't get a job, yeah. somebody's got a little bit further down the list, that can work out. That has mm-hmm. worked out. We have no mm-hmm. idea which of these coordinators are going to be head coaches. So getting one a little bit further down the process, Frank Reich was the second choice of the Colts for as right. bad as the end there was. Frank Reich did a pretty solid job. The fact that he was out of work yep. for about six weeks. And yep. think about Sirianni what Sirianni was choice. for the Eagles. This happens <laughs> yeah. all the time. So I think yep. that's okay. I think it's more from an optics perspective than anything else. Right. That now, instead of having to be like, oh, man, we struck out on all the guys we wanted to talk right. to. Now you get what a lot of people consider to be the crown jewel of this process. And the only sense that I got for why people were a little bit apprehensive about hiring Sean Payton is the compensation involved from both the Mm -hmm. draft pick perspective, what he was going to Mm -hmm. make and what he would demand for his standing in the building. But if you're willing to acquiesce to those things, because you're operating sort of from a position of weakness, which I think the Broncos kind of are, I think this is ultimately a pretty good end result. Yeah, they went from, I mean, a, a day ago or two days ago, Woody Page is cracking jokes saying like this, he was their third number one choice, D'Amico Ryans. Like they're saying like, oh, no, that's our number one guy. They just kept striking out on it. But the fact, so going from that with a pie on their face a little bit to now having the ace of this class, I mean, that's huge. Like you said, the optics, and we're going to talk about the other news too in a sec, but like that matters. That, that, that builds a lot of collateral. That's like, oh, wow, confidence in an organization that desperately needs it right now i I mean watching that broncos team the second half of the year they need it and they knew that they're coming back with that quarterback again so i think just as a a showing face type of thing this is huge for them especially with a new ownership group that wants to probably make a splash and and say like we got the guy and we're going to show that we're going to have the resources to do it if you're trying to win a press conference in this year's head coaching cycle i think the easiest way to win the press conference is try out the guy with the super bowl ring I think right. so, too. And somebody who and, built a consistent yeah. contender in the NFC for a yes. very, very long time. I know Drew yes. Brees was a huge part of who the Saints were. Mm-hmm. But if you look at their finishes on offense by DVOA over the like, Sean Payton's entire tenure, like 15 years, out. they're in the top five every year. There, there's yep. just no better way to be a successful NFL franchise than have a top five to top seven offense every single season. And right. you have a guy who was an architect of one for a decade yep. and a half who rebuilt an entire franchise. I mean, this yes. think about where the saints were when Sean Payton took over the saints. It's so right. easy to think of them as this really successful, stable organization. That's consistently relevant and a winner. That was not the case when Sean Payton took over nope. the saints. So nope. I, I just feel like if I were a Broncos fan, I would be the absolutely <laughs> thrilled. I, the I, I would be yeah, over I mean, the moon. Yeah. It's not my money. Who gives no, a right? shit? I know. I, I like, know. It, when it, someone goes, oh, we made $12 million and, and? Oh, I bet it's way more than 12 <laughs> Oh, I bet I'm it's sure. way more I'm than sure. 12 But again, trying it's to think, not – Trying to think of some numbers. Who cares? It's not your right. money. There is what – what do you lose if you have the most expensive head coach in the league? He absolutely carries that weight within the building, which I guess mm-hmm. can lead to some issues with dynamics. But there's but. no opportunity cost for coaches when your owner is like the 20th richest person in the world. Who cares? Right. And also it's like – What's the difference between three million more to a head coach? Say if he sets the market, three million higher than another head coach, or a bunch of undrafted free agents, or a guy that you cut—that's two million. Like you said, it's the owner's money. Who gives a shit? <laughs> and also, he has that clout to justify it. There's not. There's only a few guys where it's like, well, yeah, he he deserves that contract. Well, that's kind of it. Actually, I think it helps and enables even more 
Uh, if you just don't even recognize the name or, or think that has standing, it's like, well, highest paid guy, you kind of have to follow that as well. That all matters. I, it's an, like you said, it's an optics thing that matters. They're, they're throwing the ace card down, just going like, this is the ace of spades and we paid for it too. But that's what, that's what we are. That's what we're a first class organization. This is what we do. That's exactly right. And I think the Broncos see themselves that way. And this is not yes, Pat Bowen's Broncos anymore. And I think that being able to kind of send that message is important organizationally. Think about that Thursday night game and what it felt like when they played the Broncos, when they played the Colts. Think about what that stadium was like. It's a joke. The Penners being there for the first time and that ownership group sitting there and watching that happen. This is an overcorrection from that moment and an important one, in my opinion. I've told this story a bunch of times, but I I was in New Orleans a decent amount. In like 2017, 2018, every time that they were semi-relevant and they were playing a playoff game, I rose my hand to, to, to take a trip down there. <laughs> and, uh, it's my favorite city in America. I absolutely love it. It's my bachelor party is going to be there. I like, I love it. Super so, Bowl's there in two years. Yeah, listen, it's my favorite place. <laughs> so I remember talking to Zach Line, who is the fullback yep. on those teams. And we were talking about Sean Payton and the way that practices are structured. And yep. he was telling me a story about, I can't remember who it was whether it was Traquan Smith or, or Michael Thomas or somebody. And Sean Payton would – there were landmarks during practice. When he was telling him about a route depth, he'd literally go out and he'd put his hat there. And that's how it was every mm-hmm. single time. And the meetings that they would go through with Drew Brees, like these famous dot meetings that they would have on Saturday nights where they mm-hmm. would go through every single play. Every single one and talk about, well, how much do you like this? Why do you like this? Why, what about in this situation? And they would dot the ones that they liked. And they it just this collaborative, all-in effort to shape the offense and every single detail about what the offense was. And I know that having Drew Brees is great, but what right. they were able to do with personnel and, and just everything over that 10 or 15 years, if you're looking for a stabilizing force for that side of the ball, I can't really imagine a better one who would be available. I, I can only say it so many different ways. I mean, and just even think about like late career breeze. And when he got banged up and they had, he was starting Teddy Bridgewater and even yeah. Taysom Hill a yes. little bit and they didn't miss a beat. And he changed the offense. He tweaked it just a little bit. Okay. Teddy's a little better at these types of throws. Okay. It wasn't anything like remodel the whole offense, but just a little tweaks. Look at Jameis's numbers t- last year before he got hurt. Yes. Another one. Yes. We're launching him. Oh, but that that's what he is. He understands. The NFL, like there, there's a there's a strength to that. That's a gift. That's a, a a really thing that you build around. Our head coach can see the game and understands how to use these guys. He finds different guys to run his little weak side choice that he's always going to run. But a different guy's run. It's Darren Sproles. It was Kamara. Jared Cook was in Michael there Thomas. running it. Like Michael Thomas. Like all it, it he was revamped. One there's a couple of years where Jimmy Graham is just catching fade balls in the red zone. And then how many have you seen that in a decade from the Saints? No, but he understood that Jimmy Graham's really good at it. So why why change this up? And you look at the Broncos roster, and we've talked about this for about two years now. Is that there's a lot of interesting dudes on that team. There's a, there's some there's some guys that he can really work with, uh, especially at the receiver room. They're getting Tim Patrick back along with Sutton and Judy. Uh, Greg Dolchich is interesting. You know who I compare Greg Dolchich to uh, coming in the draft? Jared Cook. Wow, <laughs> that, that that's kind of fun. Um, but I mean, there is just it's interesting. I, I think there this they could he could really write this ship. This guy understands this guy being Sean Payton understands how to run an NFL offense, and he's changed what the Saints did over the years. And another thing too is early career Saints offenses with Drew Brees. 
was heavy play action, shot plays with a strong run game. You know who is good at heavy play action and should always lean into it? Russell Wilson. Well, that it's at that and and Russ is going to love that. Russ loves Drew Brees, so instantly I bet you they're going to just boom right then and there. I think, and also Russ is going to go. Oh, I want to run empty. And Champagne goes no. <laughs> this is what we're going to having clout as the head coach that and quarterbacks get a lot of say with stuff, but you have a head coach that gets a lot of say too, like that. That matters as well for that dynamic too. Hackett came in last summer, said it to me, said it to a bunch of people. It's going to be what Russ likes. I, I'm not sure it's going to be what Russ likes this nope. time around. No. I am fascinated by what the conversation was about him, about how tied they are to him. Do yeah. I need to fix him? Is this a long-term right. thing? I think if right. you go out and hire Sean Payton, it's a long-term thing. I have to imagine. Yes. And we'll see yeah. what the results are with Russ in the short term, but also how long they're going to be tied to him with Sean Payton now there. <laughs> Russell Wilson the was the quote. most prominent person in the building yeah. last summer. When they traded yep. for Russell Wilson, Russell Wilson has – he has a Super Bowl ring. He has one yep. of the highest pay, highest contracts in the league. They made that massive trade to go get him. Again, the power dynamics shift now. That he has yes. a GM who's in his first year in the first go-around. He has yep. a head coach who's never done this before. Now, that changes. It changes in a big way. Totally. Yes. You uh... – that when you're talking about the Hackett thing, it made me think there's a Vince, Mc, Vince McMahon quote where he's yelling at the crowd and he's like, you don't know what you like. You like what I tell you you like. <laughs> and, it's, and I feel like that's what Sean Payton's going in there to do. But that is such a great point. Talking about the GM who made an all-in move more or less for this guy, for Russell Wilson. They enabled him. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but that every every dynamic of every building in the NFL is so wildly different between owner, GM, head coach. And quarterback. Those are really the big names, the big faces, and every team's different. But going in, it's like you know this is gonna be Sean Payton's show because I bet you they're gonna give him they're gonna enable him as much as possible. On the Saints side of this, what a huge win for the Saints to get to yeah. get this first round pick for him. <laughs> it's I, not even their head coach right now. <laughs> this is great. Because I believe that if this had gone another cycle, they get nothing for it, correct? Mm-hmm. If it goes into yep. next uh, year. I think it's after this year. So yep. to get a first round pick for him, especially when you consider the spot that the Saints were in. Spoiler alert. Yes. We were going to do something today about the QB carousel for this spring. Yeah. And we were looking at, you know, how concerned are you for some of these situations? I was looking at the Saints. I was like, oh shit. <laughs> they, it's... they have no money. They had yep. no first round pick. They have yep. an urgency because they have the oldest roster in the league by snap weighted age. They have, I think, a real desire to be pretty good right away. How many avenues Always. to, a quarterback do you have if you're New Orleans? The answer is one more now because you have that first round pick. Now you're in the mix. If you, whoever you want to go get, now you have at least as much ammo as most of these other teams who might be in Mm -hmm. the quarterback market. Let's say Mm -hmm. you're New Orleans. I understand the money is going to be tough to do this, but they also have money in the couch cushions. You can now make a call about Aaron Rodgers, right? In a way you probably couldn't before this happens. Right. Right. And also just getting, like you said, it's just resources. It's just ammo. It's just ammo. It gives you avenues. It's all about avenues. That's what team building is in the NFL. It's just not the Saints, especially last year, were like, we're doing this with this roster and we're competing. It's like, really? That's that's okay. You're going to triple down on that path? Okay. But now, like you said, it just gives them avenues. It gives them ammo, resources, another second rounder to work with, even though it's kind of like the little pick swap kind of thing. But still, that matters. I don't think that they matters. have their 2024 20, second rounder. I'm pretty sure that, I'm pretty sure the <laughs> Eagles not. have their 2024 20, second rounder. 
that's not that's, that's not a joke. I think that's right. I know. I think you're right too. But hey, hey, they re- they recouped it. They figured out that now they have the that that in uh in the back pocket. The, e- the Eagles have the Saints' 2024 20, second round pick. Oh my God! Yeah, way to go, Howie. Take a bow. <laughs> God. <laughs> uh, but no, it's it's they needed it. They need as much resources as they can. We always know it's the joke with the cap with them, and then but the fact that they've kind of went nuclear on their picks, like they just need to they need to build up the war chest somehow. They, it's a team that desperately needs to figure out more avenues because right now the one the path they were going on looks like another seven and ten kind of year where they're just kind of there. Just quick preview. When you were thinking about Saints and quarterback marriages, who was coming to mind for you in the, in the like, old world before this pick existed? Like the called Teddy back up, Jacoby Brissett, like kind of like finding one of those kind of middle middle tier guys that you can just patchwork to get, to, to get through twenty twenty three. That's how I viewed it. I. I that's kind of what. What do you look at their cap, and you're like, oh shit, oh, you can't like, look at you that. Though. You can't look at that. I know, they, I know. They, they would bite so many bullets. I mean, there are ways they, they can. Game I was, this, all this. Nick Underhill, who does a very good job covering the Saints for his own website, it's called NewOrleansFootball.com. If you guys are Saints fans and have not subscribed or don't check it out, I think he, you know he does a great job. Saints got a lot of people that do a great job covering the great team. Beat. I was just I know, always I have. Yeah. Uh, so I was looking at it today, and he. Was, breaking down how they can free up like $60 million in space. And a lot of it looks insane. You know, it's yeah. converting Cam Jordan, who's 33 years old, uh, most of his base salary to a signing bonus and prorating it over yeah. like five years. They call oh, they would never do that. Don't say that about the Saints. Don't say they would right. never do that. They tried to go get Deshaun Watson a couple yes, years ago did. with the no money that they had. So I, I don't want to overstate how much how many levers yeah. the saints would pull in order to get one of these things I'm, done. I'm using the same google doc because that's how how boom boom we just did this i think i have one note on them and it says how sure worried should we be about them scale to one to ten i just said nine but that's us like yeah. you don't know how they feel about everything like you don't know how they feel like because a year ago they felt great it looked like they made a move like for olave and it's like oh wow that they're acting like that was the cherry on top. <laughs> like, so you don't know what's going on in New Orleans. Like you just, you, it's hard to predict what that team wants to do. Mickey Loomis wants Every to do. Single Saints fan, we're like, man, that's a, giving up a lot, and we love Chris Olave. This is the most pro Chris Olave. Oh, I know. Conversation Both in podcast the years, in America. He's not even a finalist. <laughs> okay. Every single time, a Saints fan would be like, would push back on them having no picks. But well, we're going to trade Sean Payton for a bunch of stuff. That was always part of the calculus, and now it gets right. to be part of the calculus. Now you actually traded Sean Payton for a first round pick, theory. and it gives you one more little asset to play with as you're trying to figure out who your quarterback is, and as you're trying to squeeze yep. everything you can out of what is, despite their protests over the last year or so, an aging roster. Okay, everybody's a denial about their age, like all of us in real life, but the Saints especially. <laughs> like, I mean, just me and you are like, oh yeah, we're thirty three or thirty four. Oh shit, but thirty five. Okay, but them, they're like, ah, uh, they 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 do not want to hear their age. They're just like, no, thirty's the new twenty, guys. That that's that's the Saints roster permanently. Selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you change. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the, did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, 
Shopify helps you sell everywhere. For their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash maze, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash maze now to grow your business, no matter which stage you're in. Shopify.com slash maze. All right, next big piece of news. The Texans have reportedly hired D'Amico Ryans as their next head coach, a six-year deal. Good for him. That's exactly what yeah. I would have asked for after the last two oh, yeah. tenures and how they went. Six-year deal. longer than any contract he got there as a player. <laughs> it's a great, great outcome for the Texans. Yes. When you think about yep. the discourse around the Texans for the last couple of years and how it was hard to look at them and have any other takeaway other than what are they? What is the plan? Right. Where are they going? Right. It didn't seem like they had any discernible direction, any discernible identity, any cohesion whatsoever in how this thing was being built. And some of that is under, is understandable, right? Yeah. Nick Casario comes yeah. in. This is a three-year at minimum rebuild. The mm-hmm. floor fell out the bottom of this thing, and you didn't have any picks. Like That right. combination is unfathomable, okay? But- they're starting to kind of get out of that now. They have a bunch mm-hmm. of draft capital. They have the second pick in the draft. Hell yes. And they have it <laughs> in a year where there are multiple quarterbacks dudes. available. So yep. even with all of the messiness over the last two years, and it, it was off. Like the way that they handled it, it and that what happened with Cully and Levy Smith is just – it's a terrible look and it, it's not a good situation by any stretch. But now they're, it's a much softer landing spot. And they got a guy that I think a lot of teams would have loved to be their head coach. He was on a lot of lists, justifiably. He's one of the most exciting candidates in this entire pool, in this entire cycle. Mm -hmm. And they got him. And I I think that has to feel like a huge win for Nick Casario and that entire organization. I mean, just think, like you said, just think about where this team was at with the Deshaun Watson stuff. Jack Esterby, Easterby, like, oh my God, back-to-back one-year head coaches. And now they're bringing back a guy that, as a player, won Rookie of the Year for the Texans. He was their third ever Pro Bowler in franchise history. Like that, that matters for yeah. Really, it's a, we forget how young of a franchise it is. It's only twenty one years old, you know. And the I think it's just a, it's a franchise that needed good vibes. And also, it's like this they're planting their foot and going like this is our path now. We are finally after two years and just wandering the wilderness of the NFL. This is us. This is we're finally deciding what our identity is going to be. I think it's great. The fact that D'Amico Ryans turned down the Broncos because he was like, no, I'd rather go with the Texans also kind of shows you what's going on in Denver right now. But also kind of like the fact that he was like, I would rather pick Houston than that. Houston's okay, a blank slate. Yes, I, he can do what he wants. And I think they've kind of sorted out their kind of hierarchy on their team. The roster still, you know, it's <laughs> it's holy. Uh, but like you said, they have their picks now. They, this is a... A team that now it really feels like if 
last year they moved on. Like if we just ignore what happened the last two years, it's like, oh yeah, they got their young head coaches, got a lot of picks. They got rid of their franchise quarterback. Okay, cool. This is what they can do now. But again, he can, he's young. He played in the league. He's got name recognition. That all matters for a, a team that's so young. I mean, he's probably like the sixth best Texan of all time. Uh, like might as well just, that really helps a fan base that is, I mean, look at the the crowds that were happening in Houston this past year. There, there, people were doing the oh, this is the crowd at kickoff kind of tweets. Never want that if you're in charge of a team. Why would you be when excited? Doing why, why would you give yeah, a shit about that team and like what they were doing this year? They, they rolled into right. the season, and no offense to him, but with Davis Mills as their quarterback, it was another punted right. year. And it was th- a shrug. This is the opposite of punting on your franchise is going out and getting yes. a guy like this. Let's plant your foot. They 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 shrugged through the last two years. That's what they did, and I think this matters. And I think he's got some interesting, a couple of interesting defensive players, uh, young guys. Uh, they nailed Jalen Petrie and Derek Stingley last year. Stingley kind of battled some injuries, but those guys are valid starters. He can do. He can build this team if he has a say in things. They can build it how they want to build it, and now they have a voice and a guy that really seems to know what he wants. You watch that 49ers team. Yes, they had talented players. They were so freaking well coached. And they adapted to who they were playing against every week. That's not an accident. It's not like Fred Warner's going in there and going like, this is what I want the game plan to be. Wow, look at that. It's D'Amico Ryan's getting with his players. And you can see how much they respect him. You can see how people talk about him. Come at him coming off the sideline. and hit, like Just the, Dude, the entire vibe of their sideline every single game. They, I, I want a piece of that. The, yeah, yeah, that's a good way to put it. I want a piece of that. I want that energy. I, I want that, especially for a team that needs every ounce of it that they can get. But like you're saying, the energy on the sideline, you would see some third down blitz hit or something happen, a sack or something, and they all go straight up to him. And you could tell it's because he talked about that play they ran. Like that's usually the reaction. You always see, you know, the Rogers point, you know, when he does that, like when he wants to give someone credit, like, oh yeah, like that. But like that, the you could see that with the players. Like when they had a big play, they went to him going like, hey, that worked. Like what we, you could tell it was that reaction. What we talked about on Wednesday worked in the game. Wow. Way to go coach. Thanks. That's awesome. And that's what you want for, and he's, it's going to be a young team. I'm sure it will be. You want a younger coach that can build that up. And I, I think that I really do think this was a home run for them. I think this is the best, best case for where the Texas are at right now. I think Kyle Shanahan has done a pretty good job over the last five years, and honestly, even earlier than that, if you want to give him credit for building some of those staffs or helping build some of those staffs in Washington right? for identifying coaching talent. Then he got the job in 2017. D'Amico Ryans was immediately on the Niners staff. He was a quality mm-hmm. control coach in 2017. In six years, he went from quality control coach to head coach of the Texans. And every single step along the way, he has shown why he deserves to be on that mm-hmm. track. So mm-hmm. I'm excited, man. The fact that he trusted him, this is a real thing. You see a lot of former players, they get their first job in the NFL, and it's assistant receiver coach, assistant linebacker coach, not quality control. Yeah. You know why? That that shows D'Amico Ryan's. That usually is a little more computer work. That's what I did, guys. It's a lot of data work. It's a lot of grunt work, drawing cards. You're doing a lot of the stuff so the other coaches can do their, their work. The fact that he made him that meant this guy's freaking smart. Yeah. This guy, actually, he's not just a former player that knows what he's doing. A former Pro Bowl player that knows what he's doing. Rookie of the year. He actually knows how to do the kind of the dirty work and the, actually understands what goes into that. That speaks a lot. That It really does. That the fact that he trusted him to have that type of role. I know that sounds backwards. Well, why would a lower role be more trusting? There's a lot that goes into that. And the fact that they say, no, this guy's intelligent enough to do that. That's huge. That, that That's a huge check mark in, uh, for him. 
I wonder who the offensive coordinator is going to be. I wonder what he's going to do to build that side out because yeah. <laughs> that Niner staff right. is picked over, man. Oh, no. Does he bring anything <laughs> there's, there's not even like, a Mike LaFleur at this point to, no. to kind of bring with him like there was when Robert oh, Sala took that job. That's a great point. I know who would he bring, and th- that's the thing. It's not like his coaching networking is huge. I mean, obviously like, there are like- <laughs> some guys. Like if you want to bring like a Bobby Slowick, or obviously Anthony Lynn does have experience. Yeah, you know, it. it, it and- Anthony Lynn will be the call. That's it's a obviously again. He's done it before. It, it, sorry, if you want- I'm, I'm sorry, Wheelster. Keep Pep. Keep Pep Hamilton. Or you around. want to do that? That's I mean, that's yeah. I, that's whatever the answer <laughs> ends up being. I'm, I'm curious because again, when you are a defensive minded head coach. That is the big yes. question. What are you going yes. to do on that side of the ball to make sure that you're creating stability, continuity? If that guy gets yes. hired away, do you have a staff that you feel really good about? We've seen that. I mean, think about mm-hmm. the Bill. I think some people don't think he did a good job, but I think Ken Dorsey did just fine this year when Brian Dable moved on. And like, can you make <laughs> sure that you create that ecosystem on that side of the ball? Yeah. And obviously, the offensive place they come from has a ton of success, but it's just. Yeah. A little bit picked over by now. A lot of those guys say, sorry, have been, just moved. Sorry, on. cherry picked. You know, like now <laughs> well, we're down to Bobby Slowick and whoever like is down the list of of their assistants, which is a little bit different than it was when Salah took that job. You also want that it does matter to nail in that hire, like you said, because he is a defensive head coach. Is if they draft a QB this year? Yep. Like exactly, you want that OC to have some like you a trusting OC to develop this guy and also be his guy. Because you don't want all of a sudden this, we switched OCs up after a year and it's the guy we didn't even draft. Oh man, I, I had a third round grade on this guy. Now I have to coach him up. Like having that input matters a lot too, as far as starting, starting good, starting well, uh, as far as uh, team building. They have a fresh slate. I mean, you look at this roster, there's not a lot that goes past 2023 and even 2024. You know, Brandon Cooks, the one receiver, uh, you know, and then they got John Mechie back. You know, he, he went through his thing as, as a rookie. It's kind of a blank slate as far as a, uh, as a roster building. They have a couple interesting young pieces, but we kind of knew that. We said like even two years ago, it was a roster filled of seventy eight overall guys on Madden, and but that kind of leaves them open to kind of choose their adventure and maybe revamp this team and what they want to do. And they have pr- plenty of draft capital to kind of work with that too. They need players, but they got a good head coach that I, I really. If we said coordinator success, you have no idea, but it's like if you're willing to bet on a guy, this is a guy I would be betting on. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, who knows? That's that's kind of how I put it. We never know who's going to no, shift to, never. to this job well, who's going to take to it. But right. his resume is as good and he is as promising of a candidate as you could possibly build from that coordinator yep. pool and from that coordinator route. And the fact that the Texans and where they were over the last two years are the ones that landed him, I think, is a huge, huge win for Houston, huge. all things considered. All right. Absolutely. That's all we got. Guess we got. To, I guess we got to talk about the Texans this year. This. <laughs> I, listen, give me a reason to talk about you, okay? I, I would love if, to. If I would love to. You are now taking yourself seriously, so I will yes. also take you seriously. If you yes, are showing out of the me wilderness. that you're not pressing sim to end on a season, then I won't press <laughs> sim to end on your season. Help me, help you, yes. help me. That, that, that's that's what I it don't, is. I, I, is that unreasonable? Like I just no. Now that you have shown a level of seriousness about what you're trying to accomplish. I yeah. will engage with that pursuit. That's what's been great. Actually, I was just saying great, but like Texas fans kind of like get it. Like they're always like, yeah, no, I understand. Like I, like I've seen you guys reply to me on Twitter. Sometimes you're like, no, I understand why you said that. Like, I'm like, okay, 
thanks. So beaten down, <laughs> it's, poor people. It's just yeah, acceptance. Like what? <laughs> that they just accepted what they were after a certain point. But I like that. So I'm hoping for good things down in Houston. Awesome. All right, that is all yeah. we got, guys. Thank you for coming up with us and hanging out. Nice little Great. random live show on a Tuesday afternoon in January. It's time to chat with Deshaun about Between the Lines and all of the great work that he's been doing. Let's get into it. Excited now to welcome one of our Raiders writers at The Athletic, Deshaun Reed. Sean, how you doing, man? Pretty good, man. About to head to good old Mobile, Alabama for the Senior Bowl. <laughs> Ramp, ramping up the, the draft coverage, getting ready for this, this offseason. You got your team's got a top ten pick, so the draft season <laughs> is the most important thing. And a whole quarterback. So there's gonna be a lot of fodder yeah. for you here over the next couple months. Yeah, plenty to talk about. Tom Brady watch, Derek Carr watch, what are they gonna do with the seventh overall pick? Are they gonna trade up? So as always with the Raiders, there's a lot to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> we are not gonna talk about the Raiders today. We're gonna talk about a project that you've been working on now for it feels like almost a year, maybe? I mean, when's yeah, the first time we started talking about this? Yeah, I think it's, it's I think it's over a year. Yeah, um, this is somewhere around there, but it's been a while. Um, is you know something that you know we kind of pitch um, when we first started doing our narrative podcast, which I think was over a year ago, and been chipping at at it ever since, and um, finally starting to finalize it to to come together here. So it's nice to see it you know come to life from from idea to reality. So. The week after the Super Bowl, the Tuesday after the Super Bowl, we're going to be running the first episode of your series, which we're calling Between the Lines, which is a podcast series about essentially the history of race in the NFL from a variety of different perspectives. The first episode, which is fantastic and includes a lot of, I think, some of the most prominent voices that have been a part of this entire history, laying out what their experiences have been like. It's kind of tracing it from the beginning when black players are first introduced in the NFL, some of the issues with integration early on in the NFL, how the AFL-NFL merger impacted that, Doug Williams's experience, all the way up to the Rooney Rule in about 20 minutes. It gives you a very good kind of quick primer, but also a really interesting history and perspective about the, how some of these issues came to be, what the history with them has been like, into what started with Colin Kaepernick in 2016 and kind of how that shifted the conversation around race in the NFL. And then the rest of the series goes into episodes about players in the NFL and their experience, coaches, and which obviously is a huge discussion point and should be as we hit this time of year, executives, and more and more. So just I want first things first, when you started digging into this, obviously we know why this conversation is important. What would you say is the most interesting thing you learned early on that maybe you didn't know about this discussion at large? Yeah, I think, you know, sort of, you know, just because we, I think we kind of boil it down every year to, you know, the ownership level. Um, yeah. and just, you know, they just don't want to hire, you know, black coaches or executives or they don't, they don't want these conversations about race and activism to go on in their building. Um, for whatever reason that may be. Um, but it, it really is, is multi-layered. And I think that became clearer as I dug into it. And also was the entire time, you know, as I'm doing a series, I'm like, how can this get solved? Is there a solution? Like, is, is it possible that this can get better? And it's like, there's so many things that, that need to be fixed for it to be, you know, just for example, the, the, the coaching tree, uh, or, or the lack of black coaches is, you know, a lot of it is on head coaches just because they don't give, you know, black coaches typically those, those opportunities at offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, quarterback coach, those those positions that tend to lead to head coaching jobs. And that's something that 
I guess by proxy, it's the owner's fault because they hire, you know, non-diverse coaches and then they tend to hire people that look like them for those positions. But whether it's that or the league office um, hasn't always been the most cooperative when it comes to, I know there's suddenly since 2020, they're like all about diversity and inspire change and all that. But throughout the history, the over a hundred year history, they haven't, you know, been the most supportive in that area uh, to just the culture of football. I mean, even when you take out race of it, you know, race out of it. I mean, it's almost just like you're supposed to, nothing else matters except for football at any time. And anything yeah. else that's not football is a distraction. And whether you're a player or a coach or executive, whatever you may be, like that's the only thing that you need to be concerned with. At least that's the way it's you know presented. And um, obviously throughout the, the history of the league, there's been things outside of football that have gone on, whether you go back to the, the civil rights movement or more, more recently, what happened with George Floyd in that summer of 2020 or the Colin Kaepernick moment. Uh, these these people are all people. I think this kind of like gets forgotten and they're not going to be able to separate who they are from what they do. And they shouldn't have to. But typically they have had to because that's just how the NFL has worked. It hasn't hasn't been a choice about it. And if you went against that grain, you risk losing your job, losing your career. And um, you know, nowadays, you know, these guys are making the salaries have jumped up. And so there's this image that they have more security. But even though they make more money than they used to, like the average NFL career for a player is still three years. You know what I mean? It's not like these guys are have the most secure jobs in the world. And so there's still that hesitancy, you know, from the players all the way up uh, throughout the organization to, to speak on certain things. And it, it, it sort of all just stems back to something that almost seems to be innocuous, that culture of football of just do your job and just focus on what you're doing. Like you wouldn't necessarily make the leap from that to race, but it really starts there. And, and that kind of has contributed to this being an issue really the entire time the, the league has been a thing. Well, I think that you can make that jump to race in part because it's billed as a meritocracy and the best guys get the best jobs and all that when that absolutely isn't the case. And one of the most telling, but also... I feel like frustrating aspects of even the first episode is that so many of the examples that you lay out from the past 40, 50 years have echoes right now. Doug Williams being told by his head coach while he was with the Bucks after answering a question about the national anthem about the lack of black coaches on the sideline was told, you can't do that. You, you can't tell a newspaper that you're worried about the lack of black coaches on the other sideline. And him like, well, why not? What I found really telling is that you talked to Janice Madden, who was, I believe, an economist that was hired to do research about the success of African-American coaches in the NFL compared to the coaching population at large. And she saw that there was a gap. They were more successful get, but getting few opportunities. And this was in the early 2000s when the Rooney Rule was being established. And something that she said was that, well, the league and people in it their response is, there's just not enough talent in the pipeline. It's not our fault. We're not actively going out of our way to limit these opportunities. Well, 20 years later, when we're having this discussion about the lack of black offensive coordinators, about the lack of black head coaches, everyone always goes back to, well, there's just enough, not enough talent in the pipeline. And the fact that we're decades removed, and not only has there not been enough progress made, but the reasons and the discussions around this sound the same, I thought was an incredibly telling moment from that first episode. 
Yeah, it's almost like this endless cycle that the yes. league is, is stuck in, but they're really stuck in it by choice. That's really the only, this isn't something that happens by accident. And, and that's something else that was my main takeaway from this is this is intentional in terms of the structure, the power structure of the league. Like that's really the only explanation. People just don't want it to be diverse um, for whatever that reason may be. You know, you can insert several, but uh, I mean, it's, it's in their hands. Like they, they have a choice to change this if they want to. We, we've seen other leagues. I mean, the NBA had issues with diverse head coaches for a while and now almost over half of the of the league's coaches are black now and it happened in a span of a couple of years like it doesn't take long if you really want to do it um and, and so that lack of intentionality you know you have to question the reasons behind that and and the pipeline thing it's it's, it's you know it's always been a farce but especially now i mean like there's there's no shortage of black qualified black candidates um, they, they get interviewed every year for these jobs, so they, they must be solid. I mean, we see them lead some of the best units in the league. D'Amico Ryans with the 49ers at, at the best defense in the league this season. So uh, Eric Bieniemy with the Chiefs, one of the best offenses. And so it's not like they get these positions and they suck. You know what I mean? And they were, you know, the, the, there's a push for you to hire people that are lesser than or don't perform as well. That's not the case. Like there's plenty of people that excel in these positions and they still don't get the jobs. And, and when they do get the jobs, and that's something that Janice spoke to is. You know, even though they're typically, you know, on average more successful, obviously it's a smaller sample size. I understand that. So the numbers may be skewed a little bit, but they, they tend to get fired when they perform, like they get fired off of doing better than, than the white counterparts. Um, they tend to not get second chances. Um, and they have a shorter leash. And so it's almost like you have this double standard of you have to be even better than the other candidates to get the job in the first place. And then even if you are better after you get it, you still might get fired quicker. <laughs> and so it's like you almost have to be perfect, like Mike Tomlin, essentially <laughs> never have a losing season ever to to have some sort of security. And even he, like sometimes, and it's the craziest thing to me, is like sometimes there's questions about his job security. He's never had a losing season. <laughs> it, it, like, and it's and so it's the, the bar is so insanely high. Um and it, and it's all abstract. There's no reason why it has to be that way. It, it just the people that make the decisions choose to make it that way. Think about how quick the hook has been for some of the one and done black head coaches over the last three or four years. I mean, and how different that is to their white counterparts. Steve Wilkes, one and done in Arizona, Lovey Smith and David Coley. Steve Wilkes not getting that job in Carolina after doing a really good job as the interim head coach there. But even before that, Steve Wilkes, after having that defensive coordinator job in Cleveland, had to go back to college after taking a year off and then finally got back into the NFL. And then when he kind of stumbles into this interim head coach role, because Matt rules tenure was an absolute disaster, he does a really good job. But think about how circuitous that route has to be for a guy like Steve Wilkes to get back to even an interim job compared to so many of the other coaches that we're talking about here. Yeah. And that's, that's another layer of it is, you know, you, you tend to see a lot of black coaches get, get those interim jobs, kind of clean up the mess, you know, is yep. kind of how it's framed. And, even like I said, even if you do a great job at it, uh, you know, I know six and six is not like he, you know, lit the world on fire necessarily, but that's way better than you would expect for them trading away CMC and uh, having Sam Darnold at quarterback and have some of the issues that they have with that team. And it's like even when you excel after getting an opportunity, oftentimes it's still not enough to get the job. And so it, it's for, for for coaching candidates, it's almost they don't know what to aim for. It, they're confused. Yeah. Like honestly, it's very hard to identify because every time they they think they figure it out, the goalpost moves. You know, it's like if there's a bunch of defense coordinators now, so it's now oh you know now you got to call plays on off or you got to be offense coordinator. And then if you, you become an offensive coordinator and you're successful, if you don't call plays, then suddenly issue. You know, it's like Eric Bieniemy. Like we, 
And even at that same franchise, like we've seen offensive coordinators who didn't call plays get head coaching job elsewhere and do well. Like it wasn't like they, yes. you know, some of them, some of them didn't plan out, but some of them did very well. And so it's, it's, is this, it, it always seems like the goalpost is moving for them, um, from, from that standpoint. And obviously based on the numbers right now, they, they still haven't been able to figure it out. I remember probably the most poignant and affecting conversation I've had about this was with Harold Goodwin, who was the run game coordinator for the Bucks and was a long time Bruce Arians assistant. I went down there to Tampa probably before the 2019 season. You know, the half of the league had changed over their offensive play caller before that year. And the only black offensive play caller in the NFL was Byron Leftwich. And a lot of the guys on that Bucks staff, you know, we know are they have more than all black coordinators, a lot of black assistants, something that Bruce Arians was intentional about bringing back to that comment about intentionality. And talking to Harold, he just said, like you mentioned, there's no roadmap. You know, we were being told that you need to call plays as an offensive head coach. But then you look at some of the guys, their example, because it was the most recent example at the time was the McVay tree, where you have Zach Taylor, who wasn't an offensive play caller on those Rams teams, gets the Bucks or the Bengals head coaching job. A couple of years later, Kevin O'Connell wasn't the offensive play caller. He gets the job in Minnesota. So they're sitting there looking at it being, well, I thought you had to call plays. So if you don't have to call <laughs> yeah. plays, then, then what do we have to do? And that entire question about the lack of black offensive coaches in the league, obviously we've seen tweaks to the Rooney rule. I mean, it seems to be this continuing ongoing conversation as – you know, more and more of these reasons and more and more of this lack of clarity pops up. So I wanted to ask you just the voices that you spoke to and, and the kind of the voices you feel like are most prominent and kind of define this series. What are the couple conversations that are going to stick with you that you feel like people should be excited to hear? I think stemming from the coaching conversation, Clarence Shellman, um, he, he really jumped out to me when I interviewed him. He, he was a, people may not remember he's a Chargers offensive coordinator during those those heyday years with Ladanian Thomason when he won the MVP um, and Philip Rivers and they were you know clashing with the Colts and the Patriots in the playoffs every year and he's he's another example of what we were just talking about he's the offense coordinator obviously uh, you know he didn't call plays um, there but even so even though they were top five in scoring pretty much every year and had one of the best offenses in the league like not only was he not getting head coaching jobs like he wasn't even getting interviews <laughs> and so yeah. he was just. And he was, you know, he he was an experienced coach, but he was still a relatively young man. He was in his fifties, and he retired. He was like, "I'm done." Like he, they, they didn't fire him. Like he, he could have kept coaching there or elsewhere. He had other jobs, and he was like, "I just can't do this anymore." And it wasn't so much about a pride thing, you know, or, or financially he was fine enough to walk away from it. But he just, he literally was like, "I couldn't look myself in the mirror every day and go to work." And, and know what I'm being blocked from achieving. And, you know, maybe he wouldn't have been a good head coach. Like, he's just like, I just want to find out. Like, I just don't have this opportunity. And it was like crushing him like daily. Like, he wasn't happy anymore with life, you know, because of this. And that's, I think that sort of stood out to me because it's more than just a number on a page. You know what I mean? Like, it's not just, oh, there's only two black head coaches. There's only three or there's only four. We talk about it every year because the number sucks. But it's also, we got to remember that these guys, these are people, like I said earlier, and like, just not getting this job can have a bigger toll on somebody, you know, than you think. Like, this is their livelihood. You know what I mean? And so he really stood out to me. Um, Doug Williams, of course, just because the, the, the wide range of his experiences um, from being yeah. a player, the, the first black quarterback to win a Super Bowl, the things he had to go through, then pursuing a career as an executive uh, later on in the league. Um, he, he said when, he, when the Bucks job came open um, for, for GM once, once John Gruden got, got fired down there. He thought he might have an opportunity to get for it. And, and the owner called him and was like, oh, actually, the GM's going to be this guy. And they hadn't interviewed anybody yet. It's one of those situations where, like, these interviews 
you know, a lot of times they don't matter. Um, but his experience really stood out. Uh, Jason Wright um, from the Commanders, their president, he was the first black president um, in NFL history. And that <laughs> franchise has had like, you know, the uh, the most the, the worst track record you could have in terms of off the field issues the last few years from the name of the team to some of the scandals the owner has been in. And he's had to step into that. And even from a financial standpoint, like their fan support has gone down and things of that nature. But he talked about, you know, just the weight of being the first and it taken 100 years for him to become the first and. Um, how he believed that it didn't take long for for teams to to change, you know, the makeup of their diversity if they want to. And we have seen since he's been hired, there's been more black team presidents. Um, there's been more black GMs. Um, and, and so it's, it's interesting that you've seen it, some progress in some areas. Like, I, th- I think there's a record of eight GMs right now. There's a record of five black team presidents right now. But there's only three black head coaches, if you include Mike McDaniel, who's, whose dad is black, but he identifies as biracial. Um, and so it's interesting to see how at the different, you know, steps of the NFL, it kind of varies sometimes and there's these fluctuations, but I think overall, you know, everybody that I spoke to, whether it was a former player or a coach or executive or, or all three, um, you know, they, they were focused on the lack of sustained progress. It's hard for them to feel optimistic really at any time because you do see these flashes every now and then. I mean, once Back in the day, when it's weird to say back in the day now, but when Lovey Smith and Tony Dungy faced <laughs> off in the Super Bowl, like that was like a landmark thing. It was two black head coaches for the first time ever. There was like seven. I think that was a year Mike Tomlin got hired that next season, and there were seven black head coaches in the NFL, and that was the most ever. And it's like, oh wow, like maybe, maybe this is it. Like maybe it changes. And obviously, as we see now, no, it wasn't. <laughs> and so, even with these, you know, black GM hires and and the black team president hires, it's, it's hard to feel good about it because we've never seen it sustained. And until that changes, I mean, it's, it's going to kind of be a pessimistic just kind of air, you know, for really anybody who's black in the NFL, regardless of what level it is. I don't know if it's, it's worth exploring this in depth right now, but I, I think that when I've looked back at that history, it's, in my opinion, there is a way that you can kind of trace it over the last 20 years. I think one of the reasons that we had, I think, six or seven black hat coaches in 2006 and even all the way through 2010, teams wanted Tony Dungy. I mean, Tony Dungy was the modicum of success in the NFL as a head coach. So that's what teams were modeling their practices after. And that's what they wanted to chase because owners can just say, well, that's what I want. I want to model what the successful NFL teams are doing. Now, when you have all of these young, white, offensive coaches like the McVeighs of the world who are having success, that's what now owners are pointing to. That's what I want. And there are not nearly enough offensive black play callers and coaches in the NFL and I think that's kind of what has created this disconnect 20 years later. And that's just a whole other issue. Every single time we do this, there's one more layer to the problem that seems to pop up. Yeah. And, you know, and I know now they have the, as you said, they kind of tweak some of the Rooney Rule and diversity policies. So now teams have to have a diverse position position coach uh, that's that's focused on the offensive side of the ball or, or works with the quarterback. And they have extended to the Rooney Rule to apply to coordinator positions and not just head coaches. And you have to interview more of them now. But uh, you know, it, it almost feels like it's it, it's too much of a reactionary thing from the league office because yep. really by the time that kind of stuff has an impact, maybe the, the 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 preference moves again. You know, maybe in five years it's oh we want defensive guys now or we want it to be like this coach or that coach. You know what I mean? And so it's, it's almost like you're trying to play catch up and you and you never get there. You're always playing from behind. And and really what we've seen with these whatever rules that the league mandates. Um, you know, it still can't make the, like, eventually these people, people are going to hire who they want to hire regardless. Like we, we see this oftentimes, unless that candidate that they want just doesn't want them. Um, 
it, it, it's almost all, a lot of these interviews are just farce interviews. Um, and, and we see that that's why you see, you know, Brian, Brian Flores, you know, starting that lawsuit and, and people like Wilkes, you know, joining that lawsuit uh, is because it, it they know what it is. Like nobody's, you know, has any illusions about this. Maybe when they first get in the league and they're just figuring it out, but anybody with any sort of career, like it, it becomes very apparent. And that's a very hard thing to combat because you, I mean, even if nobody comes out and explicitly says, you know, yeah, I want to hire this guy, this whole interview process. It doesn't matter. Like, you know, I'm just interviewing these black guys to check a box. Like, even if they don't say that, that's just what their actions say. And, and it's really hard to mandate that. You almost can't mandate it. And uh, I mean, outside of ownership change, which, you know, <laughs> rarely, rarely happens outside of a family. And when it does, it, it costs the amount of money that diverse people in this country typically don't have at the same rate. And so it, it's very hard for people to to find a solution outside of people suddenly have a ch- having a change of heart. And that change of heart has not happened in 100 years. So um, it, it's kind of hard to, to see it happening. But, um, you know, it's, at this point, it, it might be what it takes. I think that's why it's important to examine the entire structure and the implicit aspects of that entire structure and how those need to change. And that's exactly what you get into over the course of this entire series. So just a reminder, the first episode of Between the Lines will run the Tuesday after the Super Bowl, and then it will be coming out on Tuesdays weekly on the Athletic Football Show feed for the next four weeks. And I think there, there will be one week where there's two episodes, which I think is the last, the first week in March, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the fourth and fifth episode will, will drop on the same day. So be on the lookout every Tuesday after the Super Bowl for each episode of Between the Lines. I highly recommend that you guys check it out. Deshaun did a ton of work. It is a fantastic piece of journalism. It's a necessary piece, and I'm very glad that we're going to be having it on the Athletic Football Show for all of you guys to hear. So Deshaun, thank you very much for the time, and uh, thank you for everything. Appreciate you having me, man. All right, guys, that's all we got. Thank you so much to Nate for joining us, breaking down all the big hiring news from today. Thank you to Deshaun. Really appreciate you guys listening. If you have not submitted a mailbag question and you want to for the show that we're doing with Mitchell Schwartz a little bit later this week, please get them in by Thursday morning, let's say 9 a.m. Eastern, athleticfootballshow at gmail.com. It's where you can do that. I do not know the voicemail number off the top of my head, but it is in my Twitter. If you guys want to go take a look at that and give us a call, we'd appreciate that. We'll be back with Nate on Monday doing some Super Bowl-related content, so be on the lookout for that. Super Bowl is here. Very excited about it. If you have not subscribed to The Athletic, theathletic.com slash football show is where you can do that. And if you want to, go leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. If you like the show, if that's where you listen, uh, it would mean a lot to us. It helps us, so please go do that. And for now, that's all we got. I appreciate you listening. Talk to you soon. This was The Athletic Football Show.